right. Well, if I missed you earlier, my name is Jordan, the pastor here, and we are really glad that you've joined us. Uh, that video is uh, essentially it's part of the sermon, so I showed it for a couple reasons, one of which, if you've been around, you know that we've been uh, inviting you into um, reading the Bible this year as a church. We're doing uh, the Read Scripture app, and that video is, is from there. They have a, a video like that for each book of the Bible, and so they have a a year-long plan that walks you through the Bible, and so uh, many of you have uh, been doing that and are nailing it. Others of you uh, had gave up a few months ago. Others of you, this is the first time you're hearing about it. I just want to invite you into it. It's really not about reading the Bible in a year. It's about reading the Bible, okay? We always said, like, if, if you make a commitment at the beginning of the year to do more date nights with your spouse and then you miss a few, would you just go, ah, forget it, we won't even... There's no point. You're like, no, you just go on a date, right? Like, you just, get, you just get back to it. Like, the point is just to spend time with God. So it doesn't matter if you've missed some, missed a lot, not started at all. I'm going to invite you back in. Again, these videos, they're at the beginning of each book that kind of, I think, help illustrate and give you some incredible context and understanding of the Bible. Um, and this, today's a really good time to start. We just... Um, just finished Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs, and then today we start uh, Jeremiah. So if you, if you want to do that, if you just go to your app store on your phone or your tablet, whatever you're going to use, and, and look for that, read scripture, uh, it'll be on there, and, and you can set it up. If you, have, if you need help with that, there'll be somebody at the Connect Desk afterwards, but we would love to, for you to join us with that. Again, it's not about reading through in a year, it's just about being in God's Word. And so I personally had to kind of get back into a routine. I got to where I was just like uh, missing days and then catching up and then uh, just doing it. For, I was like, no, I've I got to do this as a, as a discipline for my heart's good just to set aside some time, breathe deep, and be in God's Word. And so we want to invite you into that. We believe this is an incredible tool that helps uh, really, uh, if you try to read through the Bible, man, you get into some of the Old Testament stuff and you can really get lost. And this tool, I think, helps ground you in the bigger story and give you some really good um, framework with which to understand God's Word. So that's why we showed that video, uh, reason one. But reason two is Ecclesiastes, not only did we just read that book as a part of our plan, but it also sets up our, our sermon uh, quite well today. So in that book, the author uh, is really asking the question, hey, what is, what is life all about? Right? It's an age-old question that, that people from the beginning of time have, have wrestled with. What is it really mean? Like, what, what is the point of life? And if you've read Ecclesiastes, you know that like, he just set his mind to see, okay, well, I'm going to find out what's good for man to do while he's here on earth. And he just, he just makes a list, and he goes, he goes after it, and he, and, he, and he works, and he succeeds, and he, and he has uh, any pleasure that he wants and money. He goes on and on and on, but really all of it is driven by this question of what will fill me up. And so um, that question is really um, one that the Bible seeks to answer in a, in a really um, sometimes surprising way, but in a consistent way. And so Jesus, in our text today, um, is actually going to go deeper into the same idea. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Um, so we're starting a new series. This, or Actually, we started it last week. And so uh, if you know, generally we preach through books of the Bible here at, at The Journey as a as a default, or what we do most of the time, but then oftentimes we'll take in the summer and we'll try to hit more topical things, uh, uh, kind of big idea, theme picture things, and, and dive in and see what the scripture says about that. And as, if you know, if you've thought about it before, one of the best ways to communicate a large point or a big idea is to ask a really good question, Right? If you've ever been asked a really good question, you know that they can, they can really expose, they can make you think and really expose things in you or that, that are true about the world, and then also encourage. So God knows this, and we see throughout Scripture that God asks several questions to his people, to individuals, 
And, um, and so we're going to look this summer at many of those questions. We're just calling the series The Questioning God. And so today in, in Matthew 16, we're going to look at where Jesus asked, what will it profit? What will it profit a man? And so if you would turn there with me and um, keep it open, it's going to be on what page? 822, if you're going to use one of the Bibles here at the church. As a note, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, that is a gift to you. You can feel free to take it at home. 822, if you're in the Black Bibles, Matthew 16, we're going to read verse 24 through 28. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So this is a a, a rather famous passage. And we actually covered uh, a similar passage in Luke earlier this year. But we're going to just stop and dive a little bit deeper into this question. And as Jesus is uh, really getting at the heart of of the same question that Solomon was in the book of Ecclesiastes. and, and, um, And causing us to stop and think. To really stop and zoom out and think about the, the larger picture. It's easy for all of us to kind of get lost in the day-to-day and what's right in front of us and the next thing and the next thing. And we always put off uh, the big picture things. And we'll, we'll get to them later. And, we'll get, and Jesus is really going to ask a sobering question here of his disciples. And, and if you know the context, it comes right after uh, Jesus starts talking about the fact that he's going to um, not make a run for the earthly throne and overthrow the Roman Empire the way that the Jewish people had hoped the Messiah would do, but instead his life is going to end in suffering and in death. And upon that revelation, Peter, always bold, always ready to stick his foot in his mouth, right, and says, no, 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 Lord, like, that'll never happen. I'll never let anybody uh, hurt you or kill you, like, over my dead body kind of thing. And Jesus um, lovingly calls him Satan and says, hey, buddy, you're, you're way off, okay? I, I understand your zeal, and I know you love me, but you've got your mind set on things of man and not the things of God. And that's what precedes immediately... Um, before this passage that we jumped in and this where Jesus is going to flip their understanding and say, hey, what it's going to look like to follow me is going to be somebody that takes their cross and, and, and follows me and denies themselves. Uh, and, and he's going to say, for whoever would, would try to save their life, whoever's trying to get at different things, like, they're going to lose it. But whoever opens up their hands and gives it away, they will find it. And we talk about that regularly here is the offer of the gospel is really counterintuitive, and it's paradoxical in some ways. But Jesus then says, hey, Peter, like, I get it. You think we, could, you think we really got a chance at taking this throne thing? And you're right. We've got a huge mob. We've got a lot of popularity. Like, we could probably do this thing. But he's challenging Peter to think about it. Hey, what, what good would that do? If we, if we go and take the throne and overthrow the Roman, like, okay, that will be great for a season, right, for a few years. But then what good is that on the other side of this, Peter, if, we're still, if you are still dead in your sins and on your way to hell? Then what good was a few years of prosperity here? So Jesus is saying, hey, I've come for a, a bigger purpose. For what would it profit us to gain the whole world and still lose 
our soul. So he's going to challenge us to think about what life is really about and what we're spending our life on. So we could go a lot of different directions with this text and, and unpack the application in a lot of different ways, but we're going to pick the most uncomfortable one and talk about money. Like three people laughed and they were nervous and the rest of you, it was like this collective eye roll. Oh, geez. Some of you are like, I knew it. That's what church is all about. And others of you are like, man, I wouldn't have came today if I'd have known that. Like, it's kind of hidden in the sermon title. What will it profit? That could be about anything. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to spend some time talking about money. Um, it's common for that to be an uncomfortable thing. Like, we're okay in church uh, if, we, if the church challenges uh, a number of other things in our life, right? Um, many of you actually came to church hoping that like, God would help you fix some of the things about your life. For a lot of you, that's how you came into our doors. Like you were struggling with, maybe it was something shameful, like uh, pornography or cowardice or something hidden, and you were, you were really hoping that God would help you uh, overcome those things. Or for others of you, you noticed that your life was on a destructive path, whether that be anger or alcoholism or, or whatever, it may, gambling. Like you noticed that your life is slipping away from you and you need some help. And that, so for a lot of you, that's what brought you into church in the first place. And God will indeed fix those things. Like, he will, he will help you with those things. He will come in and enter into the brokenness. But he's not content to just fix what you want. See, Peter had given Jesus his life. The disciples had given Jesus their life. They, were ready, like, they weren't holding back from him. They just had an idea of what salvation was going to look like. They were in with Jesus, but they had their own idea of what it was going to look like. And a lot of us, we come to God with our own preconceived idea about what it will look like for him to save us, for, for him to enter into our life and to meet our needs. Like, we have some things that we want fixed. George MacDonald um, wrote this, and then C.S. Lewis kind of made it famous and talked about the illustration of, like, when we invite God in, like, we know there's some things about our proverbial house, our spiritual house that need fixed, right? Like, we've got an old uh, drain that's leaking. We've got um, uh, some light fixtures that need fixed. And so, like, we expect him to come in and work on those glaring problems, right? And we're okay with that. But then all of a sudden, he gets done with those, and he starts, as C.S. Lewis says, knocking about and doing things that we didn't expect. And all of a sudden, he's blowing out one wall and building a new wing here and towers here. And, he, and all of a sudden, like, he's doing things that we didn't agree to, and he's just taken over. And what we realize is he's not just interested in kind of rehabilitating this, this messy thing and making it livable, but he's actually building a whole new palace because he himself plans to come and dwell in it. It's a beautiful picture of what, what Jesus is not just saving us from the things that are the pain points in our life. Like he wants all of us. Like he's coming after our hearts. So the reason that we're going to talk about money is because Jesus talks a lot about money. In fact, he talks about money more than he does any, anything else. More than heaven and hell combined, Jesus talks about money. And, and for a lot of people, like, like we're really careful at the journey here. If you've been here, you know that every week we give a caveat at offering time that, that if you're visiting with us, we're, you guys could probably say it with me. We're not here for your money, right? Like, you know the spiel that we give, that we're just glad you're here, and um, this service is a gift to you, and all those things. Because we want to be really careful, because we know that churches have blundered this and misused this, and, and that many of you have been heard, and you've seen a misuse, and you've seen the televangelist on TV asking you to help him get a jet. Anybody else? That's weird, okay? Like, you just turn that mess off. Leave that church, okay? That stuff's happening. And so some of you have seen that, and so you have this reaction in you. So we're really careful to, to caveat and, and, and make sure that you know, like, we're not here for your money. But Jesus talks about money because he loves us too much not to. Because, like I said, Jesus is after our heart. 
And so as you see throughout Scripture, God is, is very clear that he knows that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So he knows that money is, is for, all, for many of us, uh, so tempting. I'd say for all of us it's tempting to latch on to. So we know that we need help with the porn addiction. We know we need help with our marriage. We know, but, like, leave the money thing alone, right? Like, we, get, we start getting nervous when a, when a preacher brings up money. And it's just a personal thing. So, but Jesus comes after our whole being. And the reason that he talks about money so frequently is because he knows that it's going to be the way to our heart. This is the same reason that Jesus, when he's approached by the rich young ruler, asking him how he, how he can uh, inherit eternal life, Jesus tells him to go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, why? Is that the way to eternal life? Like, do we all have to sell all our possessions? Is, is it? No, Jesus tells him that because he knows that's where his treasure is. The Bible says that that man walks away sad because he was very wealthy. He had a lot of stuff. So he walks away with his head down knowing that he can't do what Jesus is asking him to do because he really likes that stuff. And for many of us, that's, that's our posture with God. Like, we like the... the, the general idea of our life and their treasures that we have, but we want God or godliness to kind of help us to come alongside and, and further that a little bit, help us feel better about it, maybe help us flourish in our business. If we do good, come to church, give to God, like he'll, he'll bless us or whatever it may be. And, and we kind of have that posture. Jesus says, no, 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 like I'm not going to serve your God. Jesus doesn't serve our idols. He doesn't serve our little gods because he is God. So he's going to come after those things. And if, we, if we're really wanting and longing for this in life, and sometimes, as for, we'll read in 1 Timothy later, it says that we'll come in and expect that godliness will actually lead us to some kind of gain. The Bible's going to say, you got that all wrong. Like God is not a means to our end. God is the end in itself. He is the thing that we are longing for. He is the treasure that our hearts have. Ecclesiastes I think chapter 5 talks about that God has set eternity. I think it's chapter 3. God has set eternity into the hearts of man. Meaning that we have a thirst, a desire, a longing. The reason that we're all asking that question, what is life about, is because we are longing for God. We are longing for eternity. Like we were made for a world that is not broken and busted by sin. We were made for a world to be in the presence and communion with the living God, who is the source of life. And it is our sin that separated us from that. And there's wisdom after wisdom that, that reveals that, hey, this stuff is not going to satisfy you. And then Jesus comes not to do away with all that, but to fulfill that. And so Jesus is coming to be the fulfillment of the wisdom of Solomon, to actually empower us to live out what Solomon has said is the only way to find true life. As we look closer at the text here, we see that there's a, a bit of a peculiar demand or command from Jesus. And he says that if, if anyone would come after me seeking life, let him deny himself. Back in Matthew 16, 24, he says, let him deny himself. Now listen, if we think about that, like that's a hard teaching. And if you've read the rest of it, I, I'm tempted to go, hey, well, that doesn't sound very life-giving, Jesus. Like that sounds painful. That sounds actually quite terrible. What, what happened to the offer of abundant life? 
When Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the, to the fullest. What, what, what's going on there, Jesus? Why are you telling me i got to deny myself now? I thought you came here to, to give me abundant life. So what, what's going on here? And the reality is, as we read on, we re- realize that Jesus is inviting us beyond our own understanding. Jesus is inviting us out into the deep waters to step off of the safe platform of our own understanding and to trust him and to go there with him a bit and to think deeply, to think soberly about the big picture of life. Proverbs 14 says that there's a way that seems right to man. Like it it, it makes good sense, but in the end it leads to death. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity or hevel, as the video said. So the denial of self is, is actually the way to life. Like Jesus isn't trying to steal from us in this command. Like so many of us are, are trapped in this idea and this thinking that if we just had the next thing or the next, like that then we'll be content. Right? You know this pattern of life, that if I can just get to this point, to this income, to this salary, to this uh, house, to this spouse, to this relationship, this vehicle, this property, whatever, fill in the blank, like then I'll be, like we're always chasing the next thing. And we, and we know that if we're honest, even if we get it, like that that reward is fleeting, right? And that there's still an emptiness in there. We're so convinced that that's what we need for, the, for our life to be complete. Yet if we would, like, if we would stop and listen to people like Solomon that, that have been there, that have got all the things that we think we need, they've, they've been there, done that, got that T-shirt, like, and they're telling, hey, it didn't work. It didn't fill me up. And they, they actually wrote this stuff down for us to have the wisdom. Uh, but then, even if you're not, like, not going to use that, if you're not going to give the Bible any authority there, like, there's modern-day example after example after example for us to point to and say that riches is not what equals equals contentment. It's not what equals life. Just examples that are just screaming at us, like the, the suicides among celebrities, like those aren't talking points, and I don't intend to use them as such, but like that's a sobering reality that that does not equal happiness and contentment, and that mental illness is real, and like we need Jesus to save us from that, and like that there's there's so many complexities to that that it doesn't, like, we are, like, because we still have so far to go and there's so many things we, we think we can still get, like, we're still prone to be in that cycle and think, yeah, but, yeah, but, I just need this. I don't need all that. I don't need millions. I just need this. And we're just trapped in that cycle. Tom Brady, many of you know, years ago, after, after winning three Super Bowls and, and earning millions and dating supermodels and eventually marrying one. Uh, but, but at that point, after winning three Super Bowls, he was interviewed. And, and, and it's really, it's, it's honestly a sad interview to watch. Because you see him in this moment talking about, and they're talking about how, like, this, this is everything you've dreamed of, right? And he goes, yeah. But I didn't think it would be like this. I didn't think it would come with all the other baggage. He said, why is it that I've won three Super Bowls and I'm making more money than I ever dreamed of? Why is it that I still think there's got to be something more? And the interviewer said, well, that's in- like, it's interesting. What do you think it is? And he was like, you almost hear his voice break a bit. He says, I don't, I don't know. It's almost hard to watch this, this successful man that is on top of the world that 
is struggling to say, like, I don't know. I thought I've got, like, I thought this is what I needed, and I'm, I'm there now, and I'm still longing for something else. And you just want to scream at him, like, man, I know the answer. Like, I have the truth. Like, it's not me. It's Jesus. Like, I know the answer, Tom. Like, and, and billions and billions of people are asking the same question. We just haven't reached the same level of him to be able to sober up and go, yeah, you know what? This, isn't, this didn't work. This is the wisdom of the Bible being proved over and over again in everyday life. Something you might not know about me is I sold insurance. I sold, I sold life insurance for about, I don't know, eight to ten weeks one time. It was miserable. Um, just not for me. Not, like, that, that career field is good. I'm grateful for folks that, that sell that. I have life insurance. I'm grateful for it. Uh, just not my jam to be selling it. But, um, but the, the guy I worked for in this company up in, in St. Louis, he, t- he was a very interesting dude. But he, he told me one time, he's like, Jordan, if you just put your blinders on for, uh, for a year, man, and you look up, you won't, you won't even know where you are. Like, you'll be making so much money. And, and this is coming from a guy that's like, like he's, he's probably 31, 32, and he's literally wearing, like, velour suit jackets. Uh, he's got really greasy hair, slicked back, um, really expensive, gaudy watches and, like, snakeskin shoes um, that don't go, like, it was just a weird, and he's like, man, I got, you know, I got two, I get to pick which sports car I drive to work every day, and I got ladies, and blah, 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 he's like, just put your blinders on, and you, like, go run hard for a year, he really talked like that, like, I'm not mocking him, but, um, I guess I am, but he's like, just put your blinders on for a year, man, and you won't even realize, and I'm like, bro, I think you need to take your blinders off, like, it's gone kind of badly for you, like, you, you're in a place, I don't know if you understand, like, this is, this is no longer cool, like, I, I, I think he just went into a store and picked out the most expensive thing and didn't care what it looked like, and just, like, wore it. but, but he, that was like the culture, and everybody in that, that um, firm would kind of reference him. Hey, look at Jeff. Like, you know, he's so young. Just give it a few years, and you can be like him. And that was like the driving force, and it was like sucking the life out of me. I was like, I don't want to be that. Like, I had just had my first kid, and I was like, I, no, sorry. So I went back to retail, and um, this just wasn't for for me, but yeah, this, this, this whole aura about, like, that's where it's at. Like, you just do this and, and work really hard, and then you'll, you'll be content. I'm like, I I disagree, but that is the that is the the lie that we're all believing, the ch- the thing that we're all chasing, and, and it's wisdom from the Bible that is proved out in everyday life over and over and over again. Jesus here, though, he tells him, "Hey, what good is all that? Even if you get it all, what good is it if you lose your soul?" And then he points him to what really matters. He says, hey, I know that you're trying to get all you can out of this world, and it seems really important, but you need to understand that eternity is what's going to matter. And Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to come back again, and this time it's going to be in judgment. And he put every deed with its right and just reward, and then we'll realize what, 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 the earth, what, what this life was all about. And then he tells them this peculiar thing, and he says, he says, actually, some of you aren't even going to have to die before you see me and my kingdom. And he's, of course, referring to the transfiguration that's going to come uh, next in the story. And what we see is that at that point, Jesus uh, unveils his glory. I, I, he, he's put on flesh and come and lived with, with people, but he's put on his 
or he's put on flesh so that his glory is veiled. And at the transfiguration, he unveils it a bit, and it's exposed about who he really is and the true glory of him. And the disciples at that moment don't know what else to say except, like, we need to stay here. Like, this is good. This is it. Like, this is what our hearts are longing for. And so what Jesus is saying is, like, the kingdom of God is the only thing that stops that searching. It's the only thing that gives you the rest that you're longing for. It's the only thing that is actually deeply satisfying. That is the, the heart behind the motive of, of Jesus telling that rich ruler, ruler to sell everything. It's not about him getting rid of his, like, it's not about the possessions. It's about understanding that all of that, until you understand it doesn't even compare to the kingdom of God, then you've, you've missed it and you're not really getting the kingdom of God. That's the heart behind the parables that I quote almost every week. I didn't want to let that tradition die, so we've got to go get it again. Like the kingdom of God is, is like a great treasure that's hidden in a field, and the man that finds it counts the cost and goes, ah, man, nothing I have matters. I'll sell it all just to get this. So many people have misunderstood the message of Christianity and feel like God just wants some begrudging worship or he wants us to give enough money or whatever and, we'll, and then we'll be justified and be righteous. Like that, That's not at all the heart behind God asking us to give, commanding us to give. Like he's saying, hey, come lay down your little plastic necklace that you're so fond of and let me give you a real pearl. Let me give you a true treasure. Let me give your heart the rest and the contentment that, it, that it's longing for. Turn to 1 Timothy, if you would. That's going to be to the right in your Bible, page 993, if you're going to use the church Bible. Turn to 1 Timothy, chapter 6. The... Invitation of the gospel is not to give more, do more, do all this so that you can be justified and have and find true life. Like it, it is to surrender, to lay down our life, and instead to pick up Jesus and his kingdom. And so the invitation is to have a heart that is so content in Jesus that we're free from the desire and the drive to accumulate, 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 get more and more and more. Like we have contentment. And this is the the instruction that Paul is going to give here in 1 Timothy. We're going to pick up reading in the middle of uh, verse 5 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. And he's talking about people that are just kind of false teachers, but he's, he's going to juxtapose that with true contentment. And he says this. He says, there's constantly friction amongst people who are depraved in mind and deprived, and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, and we cannot take anything out of the world. That's like that's the age-old adage of, like, you can't take it with you. Like, that, that, that comes from the Scripture, and we've gotten so used to hearing that stuff that I think we just glaze over it. But we need to hear God asking us deeply personal questions in this moment and realizing we, we brought nothing in, we can't take anything out. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. You need to hear like this question in Matthew, this unpacking here in, in First Timothy, like you need to hear God's heart in this. 
He's asking you these hard questions. He's coming at your checking account, not because he needs your money. Like, that is just foolish to think that the God who created everything, like, needs our, our money. Like, what's he going to do with it? This doesn't mean anything to him. Like, he's coming for our money because he's coming for our heart. And he loves us. And as a good father, he's saying, listen, many people have ruined their life chasing a dollar. Many people have ruined their life with the desire for more and more and more because you're going to get there someday and realize it wasn't worth it. And you've spent your life and neglected your family and and made choices that you regret or whatever it may be. And it wasn't worth it. He's saying the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And many people, like because of this craving, have wandered away and made a mess of their faith. So how do we do this? How do we pursue a heart that's content with Jesus? As we read on, skip down to verse 17 there in in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And he says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Listen, what he says is be rich in good works. You need to be clear. Having money, earning money, being successful, not a sin. Okay? You need to hear me say that. Like, that is, like God does not condemn you being successful and earning lots of money. The guy who's, who's uh, in the parable, like his, his life goes really well, he's really successful as a farmer, like Jesus doesn't condemn him for doing that. Jesus condemns him for building bigger and bigger barns just to accumulate more for himself as though the world out there that is suffering and dying and the world that is to come don't matter. All that matters is right now. Jesus says that, you're a fool. So the problem is not earning good money, being successful. The problem is accumulating and accumulating and accumulating and not being generous, not doing anything with it to make the world a better place. Many of you, this command needs to just free you up to take a job that pays less, that really fulfills your calling. But for others of you, the the response here would be, keep making good money and give a lot of it away and make the world a better place with it. Like, be a good employer, bless people, invest in the community, like, push back the darkness Jesus says, that's the way to life. Like, it's not about a vow of poverty kind of thing. It's about, like, spending what you do have, giving it away. Jesus says, those that seek to try to save their life, they're going to lose it someday. You can't take it with you. It's eventually all going to fall from your hands, whether you like it or not. Jesus is saying, give it away. Open up your hands. Give it away. Spend your life pouring out for other people, living sacrificially, living radically in such a way that First Peter would say, like, people need to ask you why you have such a hope. Why are you not spending, why are you so generous? Why are you spending your life this way? We should be so radically different from the world that people are asking us questions. Hey, what's, what's wrong with you? What, why do you live that way? Why do you love, why are you giving me this? Why are you loving me this way? Why are you spending your time this way? Why'd you leave that job to go do this job? Like we should be prompting questions like that because we have found true contentment in the gospel. Therefore, we can live our lives with open hands and not placing our identity, our hope on the uncertainty of earthly riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So how do we do that? How do we guard ourselves against this temptation? 
Because like I said, our Father loves us, and he's warning us. And as you start reading the scripture, you're going to realize how prevalent it is. That I just quoted a few of the things, but over and over again, God warns us against the love of money that drives our heart into a dark place that, that is trying to get more and more, and we lose sight of what really matters, and we lose true contentment in that process. So how do we do that? Part of how we fight against that is we give. And listen, some of you, I don't even want to preach this message, okay? I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't like talking about money. I don't like asking you guys to give. I don't like it. That's why we're so intentional every week at offering. But you need to understand. You need to go a little bit deeper with me and understand it's not my idea. I, I, I didn't come up with this that, that you would give to the church. That, like, I took a pay cut to come here. Like, I, I don't want it, like, your money, okay? Like, I just... Oh, I just don't want to even do this. But you need to understand the call of God. Like back in, turn to Deuteronomy 18. Go way back to the beginning of your Bible. I think it's in page 161 if you're using um, the church Bibles here. But you need to understand that from the time that God has put together his people and to make a people for himself, like he has made this a part of our life that we would give to the church as a way to worship God, to give to God, and that he would use what the people give to fund the mission of the church. Like he's always done it that way. Some churches have made a complete mess of that. Absolutely. The guy on a jet, Jesus is not pleased with that dude. Okay? that's begging his people to pay more money so he can, like, no. If I'm doing that, the elders have hopefully already fired me. If not, you need to leave. Okay? But you need to understand that, that God has, it's, it, there's, his wisdom and his love are displayed in his command to give to his church. His wisdom and his love are on display in his command to give to the church. I want you to see this all the way back in Deuteronomy 18. you got to think, these are the people that have been rescued out of Egypt. They spent 40 years in the desert. They're eating manna from heaven every day. God's giving them water from rocks and, and quail. Like He's provided for them, and now he's sending them into a land where they're going to prosper. And as you know the story, he's going to divide up each of the 12 tribes. He's going to say, this is your inheritance, this is your inheritance, and all the way down. But he says, okay, but for the Levites, they're not going to get any inheritance from the land because they're going to be the ones that serve in the church, in the temple, to manage the sacrifices, to intercede for the people, to be the priest there for the people. And he says, they're not going to get an inheritance from the land. What they eat, what they live on is going to come from the offerings of the people. So the, the people bring the offering as worship to God, but God then uses it to take care of the needs of the priest. And that's how he's always set it up. I want to read this just briefly. Deuteronomy 18, uh, verse 1. The, Le the Levitical priest and all the tribe of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's, uh, they shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They, they shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people. From those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the first fleece from your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him from out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons for all time. So God set this up, but I want you to stop and think about it. Was that just like the most economical way or the most... Like, was that just like, okay, well, the Levites need something, so I'll just do it this way. Like, reality is, God can provide for the Levites any way he wants. He's just spent 40-plus years raining down manna from heaven. Okay? Like, he doesn't need the people's sacrifices to feed his priest. You don't understand that. Like, God doesn't need it as such. But he, it's not about how am I going to fund the priest. It's about how am I going to guard my people's hearts from trusting in stuff other than me. 
from trusting in their own provisions. And that's why the language is in there, give of your first fruits. So they don't have checking accounts the way that you and I do. They have grain, they have uh, cattle, they, you know, they have livestock. And so he's saying, no, 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 not what's left over. Give of your first fruits because you need to posture yourself that anything that comes into your hands was a gift from God. And in order that you not forget that and start trusting in something else, you need to just go ahead and give part of it right back to God so that you understand where you belong and where your hope lies. And God says, okay, then I'm going to take what you guys give and we're not going to waste it. The priests get to eat it. That's their means of living. So I know that we're a long way. And listen, they messed it up. You keep reading in the Bible, you get into Judges, you get into some of those other stories, and the priests messed it up often. They would defile the offerings of God. They would make a mess of things. That doesn't negate the wisdom of God and the command to give. So yes, churches have made a mess of it. Yes, we've mishandled But that doesn't negate that God is coming after your heart and he's setting up a part of being a part of the people of God is that we give generously of our first fruits right to God. So you need to, like, part of our response here is that we give. And if you are just, like, really hung up on, on the whole church thing, like, I would challenge you, like, give to some other organization that has got, like, if, if that's your issue... Just trust God some other way. But if you're a member of the church, like you're, this is a household, like we, like we commit to give together. But like if you're really hung up on that, have a conversation with me. Like it's not about us getting your money. Like we're, we've actually done well this year. I'm really proud of it. Like our budget, like I'm excited to see how the year ends. Like it, it's, you guys have been generous. Like I'm excited about the way our church has, has grown in that. But listen, it's about your hearts. It's about my heart. So we need to give intentionally. We need to give sacrificially. And we need to give regularly so that our hearts stay postured in a healthy way. The best way to do this. Listen, in that day, they were required to give 10% of their first fruits right off the top. Not what was left, not we'll see. Like, that was the, the issue with Cain and Abel's offering. Like, one of them gave out, out of the first fruits. The other was like, oh, I'll see, you know, what I got left. Okay, God, here's your deal. And so if we do that, if we go, okay, well, I'll see what I got left, and I'll give out of my abundance, I'll give out of what's left over, God's saying, you're missing the whole point. That's not true worship. Like, when you give, it should, you should feel it. It should feel like trusting God. Because you're like, ah, I could really use that. Like, even now, like, we've been given this, the, the same set amount for a few years, and it's like, I could really use that, that money on, like, a lot of other things. Like, we could upgrade our lifestyle with it. Like, that would be really nice. But it's like, no, I have to. So, the, 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 for me, the way to do it is, is to set aside 10% and just give it straight to the church. My, my paycheck comes in the last day of the month, first, the, the very first day of the month, my, my part comes out and goes right back to the church. Like, it, it's just, so I don't even get to touch it. I don't get to think about it. It's not me remembering it. Like, it's just that way my heart never gets to latch onto it. I'm not even trying to cling for it. It's just there and it's gone. And then I try to sit, and we try to sit aside and keep another 2 or 3% just to, just to be generous with needs that come up. If there's a missionary we want to support or a need that our neighbor has or we're some, somebody in our church like that we can just bless and give and, and that we're not so strapped to our own needs that we can't help anybody. And listen, that's for my good. That's for our good. It's for my heart's good. Like, so that I don't cling to that and start trying to get bigger and better. So that I don't get, like, I'm committed to you, like, we are not going to, I'm not going to try to manipulate you and show you all the good things that we're doing and then say, okay, you need to give more. Okay, that's manipulative. I'm not going to do that. As your pastor, like, 
What you guys give, that's an issue of discipleship with you and the Lord. Like, you need to, like we need to pastor you to understand what it means to give unto God. And then, whatever you guys give, we'll build our budget off of that. Okay? Like, that's how we're going to, like, you guys commit, you give. It, it helps us if you give regularly. That way we can kind of be better stewards and know what's coming in. But, like, you guys give, and then we'll build our budget off of that. I'm not going to try to manipulate and spend and say, okay, we, we're doing really, like, give us more money. Like, no, it, it's a discipleship issue when we give. And then whatever our household income is here at the church, then we'll build our budget off of that. But we need to ask this question of ourselves. What is the profit? We gain everything we have our sights set on, and we lose our soul. What was it worth it? And we need to, we need to not move past that. We need, to, we need to just sit in that for a minute and let our ourselves, like be honest with ourselves and actually repent and move forward in worship. Live a life of good works. Be rich in good works. Live a life of generosity. Let's pray. God, the fact that we can even open our mouths and speak to you and you hear us is a, is a direct result of your generosity toward us that you gave your son to make a way that we could speak to you, that we could be your children, be adopted into your family. And, Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that in this time that the truth of the gospel would reign supreme and that you would remove any sin and and anything I've spoke and that you would remove any confusion or work of the enemy to steal the good word of the gospel and Convince us that you're trying to hold out on us, that you would just reign supreme in this time and melt our hearts in your presence as we worship, as we take communion. Just rock us, Lord. We ask it and hope it in Jesus' name.